Hello and welcome to the Bucket List Board Gamers, the podcast where board gamers come together to talk about board games. I am joined by the ghostly apparition, Drew Leonard. Hello. The Hasbro monster, Andy Brumard. Hello. And the final girl, Craig Smith. Hello. (laughs) Spooky, isn't it? And I am the Nightmare Before Christmas, Jay Davis. So, in case you didn't notice by Craig's elongated hello there, we are doing a Halloween special today and talking about some spooky, scary Halloween games. Quite hard to portray horror in a board game and get that feeling of horror across a lot of the time. Uh, There are a few games that do it though, and whether the ones we've picked are those or not, I'm not 100% sure. What we're going to do is we're all going to pitch two games each, and then at the end we're going to come up with a top five list that we recommend out of those eight games. So, does anyone want to dive in and go first? I'm happy to. Oh, there we go. I thought I was going to have to say I'll take it from that silence. I'll go first. But... I'll jump at once. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get involved. Andy straight in. Uh, go on, Andy. Yeah. What are you pitching first? I'm going to start with Amelia's Secret, which is from XD Productions. And this is a, I don't know, a bit of a unique twist on an escape room, I suppose. It's an augmented reality game. And really the box just contains a load of cards and a very small bit of blue tack, which I really enjoyed as a, <laughs> um, a nice consideration, given that you've got to stick these things all, all around kind of your living room or around your house. And unsurprisingly, you play it through an app. So the setup's pretty simple. You get, I can't remember how many, maybe about a dozen cards. And it tells you where you've got to put them. So either like, you know, kind of five feet off the ground, two feet off the ground, put it on a table, put it on a bit of furniture. And that's in terms of putting it together it's really really quite straightforward after that you've got an app which you're probably better off doing on a tablet rather than a phone i think if you can because you kind of everybody's trying to look at it and if you've probably got more than two people you're going to probably struggle to be close enough to scan the card and also for everybody to see what you're trying to do as well and then it's basically you're kind of walking through it like pretty much any other escape room you're scanning the card you get kind of some 3d thing that you can interact with so kind of one of the first cards we scanned when we played it was a sink which is filled with blood and you've got to try and work out how to drain the sink to do a thing won't spoil it too much and in the long form version of the game you've got an hour to basically solve all these puzzles uncover Amelia's secret and escape this kind of locked mansion in a forest before the time runs out and it's pretty good I mean I think it's an escape room so you're going to play it once there's probably a bit of novelty in there as much as anything but I think the app holds up pretty well I think you know you can kind of rotate around these objects you can kind of zoom in and zoom out of them a bit you can physically interact with the stuff that turns up on the screen and yeah, I think we pre- we quite enjoyed it. We set it up with all the cards in one single room, so it kind of felt a little bit more claustrophobic. Yeah, we had a really quite unfortunate element where we'd scan kind of one of the scarier cards, and my cat started scratching at the door, like literally as we'd done that. <laughs> so there was a unexpected little bit of atmosphere generated by the pets. But yeah, it's it's decent. It says it's kind of for twelve plus, I think, on the box. But I think if you've kind of got people that are of a slightly more nervous disposition, you might want to. You know, kind of, you know, you know the people you're playing with better, I guess, and particularly if you're playing with kids. There's a couple yeah. of jump scare moments in it, which is which is not bad, and it's you know it's kind of pretty well done. But yeah, it's it's a decent puzzle. We kind of cracked it with about five six minutes to spare, so it's not kind of it's not too obvious, it's not too easy, and it leads you through it in quite a nice way as well. 
It is on my to-play shelf. I mean, I think I bought it when we met at Aircon, didn't I? Because we discussed yeah. it there. That's where I and got mine, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was only about 20 quid, I think, wasn't it, at the time we bought it? I don't know if it's fluctuated at all. Because it's a one-time play game, I think 20 quid is about where it's at because it, it seems a decent yeah. price point and you'll probably be able to get about a tenner for it second hand when, when you've done with it. So you can't go to an actual escape room for a tenner can you for a group of people no. so it, it's it's a decent price for what it is i didn't realize you had to stick things up around your house so that'll be fun when we come to do it because we've just painted all the walls and stuff so i'll be getting in trouble <laughs> if i'm blue tacking things to all the front room walls but no it does it does sound really interesting i i always get a bit nervous with games that have apps because i'm always yeah. thinking what if when i come to play it that app doesn't exist anymore because they can come and go on the app store really quickly can't they yeah. so that would be my only precaution with this game is that if i come to play it the app might have disappeared but usually they're quite good aren't they at keeping things on especially when it's still on sale in shops yeah that was i was to be honest i was a little bit nervous about that i was like well i've had this you know i bought it six months ago like say at aircon i haven't played it yet it's been out a few years is it it's almost, I'm still going to be able to download the app, and yeah, it is still there. It's And it does work pretty well, I think, as well. You know, as long as you can get it installed on a device, it doesn't feel particularly clunky, um, yeah. which is quite a good thing as well. We've got the the Chronicles of Crime ones, you know, um, from Lucky Duck, and the yeah. app on that is, it's good, but in certain parts it is a little bit clunky. It, it just, like, it's not, it, it plays perfectly well, but... Some of the visuals on it, like the, I'm sure there's bits where it's like Times New Roman on a blank like square button and stuff, and it, it works. But you just see that and you think, oh, they could have just put a bit more polish on on that. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah as long as it's functional and it does what you need to do to to help you escape, then yeah, it's it's fine, isn't it? So I am keen to play it. It's just, I mean, we've been waiting for this time of year to play it. That's why it's been sat on the shelf yeah. so long. But knowing our luck, we'll get distracted by something and then it'll have to wait till next year and then the app won't work. But <laughs> I've, I've, either of you guys played it or come across it, Craig, Drew? No, not familiar with it at all, to be honest. No, no, this is the first time hearing of it. It does sound interesting. Is it like other escape rooms where like, you have to, or like some other escape room games, where you have to like destroy certain parts of the components to get at the no. information? Or does the app handle all of that kind of thing? The app handles all of that, so all you really... The only kind of components are these kind of location cards, effectively, or like item cards. And then once you scan that, it's kind of giving you an, a puzzle within the app. So either you've got to physically interact with the 3D object that it's kind of manifested, I suppose, through through the app. And then there's kind of a little bit of a puzzle, and you're kind of having to go back and rescan other ones to make sure you've got the full information. So we kind of ended up taking a photo of the tablet screen on a phone to have that. I mean, you can do it with a pen and a paper, but it also says if you kind of want to close all your curtains and turn all your lights off, you can use the flash on your device to scan as well, so you could do it in quite near darkness. I don't know about that. So, yeah, it's not, not destructive at all. Yeah, well, that's yeah. good then. So, it's, yeah, it's you definitely can get a, a decent resale value for it then yeah. if you're not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in theory, you should be able to get almost your 20 quid back, shouldn't you? Because you're not destroying anything and it's in pretty much mint condition apart from the blue tax been used yeah. once mm. um so <laughs> yeah so yeah it's, it's it's a decent one for reselling hopefully so what would yeah. you give it out of a 10 we'll we'll rate each one individually personally and then we'll we'll group them together at the end probably gave it a solid seven i think it's and i think part of that is because it's a little unique i kind of you know i've played a few escape room games my, my daughter likes them but that kind of horror theme which i think is done pretty well and the app and the sort of augmented reality bit i think 
probably bumps it up a little bit. So yeah, solid seven. I think the idea that you can play it in near darkness as well adds another element. I didn't realise that was a thing, and I don't fancy actually doing it, but for people braver than I am, that sounds like a, a fun way to do it. Especially if you've got a big open space where you're not going to be banging into stuff, and you can actually move around freely. And you can, you can actually, you know, because within the game you're kind of exploring this entire manor house, so if you want to put stuff in different rooms and feel like you're walking through a sort of pretty dark house to do it, you can, mm. you know, you can add your own uh, level of atmosphere as you want. Say so we just put it all in one room because it felt easier, but you can, you know, be walking around your house, get a candle if you want, you know, really lean into it. Yeah. I'm surprised there isn't an escape room company that has just bought this game and propped out a few rooms like a manor house and then stuck the cards up around it because it'd be really easy to do that, wouldn't it? And then charge people like a tenner each to come and play it for an hour. It would be a really easy Halloween setup. Look at this board game as a business idea, I think we've got Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Has anybody got a large, a large open space we can set all these cards up in? So yeah, a good seven there to kick us off. Does anybody else want to go next or shall I take the helm on one? You go. I'd like to hear what yours is. So my first one, I'll go with the more well-known one first, is Mysterium Park. So not not the scariest game, I'm willing to admit. In fact, not particularly scary at all, but it does have a nice Halloween ghost theme to it. I've not actually played Mysterium, and I know Craig has, because we discussed this before we started, so I am keen to see what the differences are. From what I understand, it's just a more streamlined experience. They've slimmed down the setup, the components, etc., and made it a little bit more straightforward. So in Mysterium Park, you we played it as a group of four. I'm not sure if you can play it at a, a higher number. I'm sure you can play it at a lower. I think you can play it as a two, three. We played it as a four. One person is the ghost or the spirit, and the other three are mediums that are trying to contact the spirit. And you play it across three rounds. So the first round you lay out, I think it's nine suspect cards, and each suspect card has got traits on it for the person so one of them is like a private eye so he's got uh, like a gun and a hot dog and like a coffee cup or something like that on his card and a picture of him and then all the others have similar things so one works I think in a fairground and they've got the obvious fairground things popcorn or whatever on there and then the spirit gets to draw so many cards that have really random images on them so one of the ones I remembered playing, we were doing the the one and I got to identify the private eye, that's why I remember it. And I got a card that had a guy behind bars, like in a jail, and a gun on it. So I was like, right, perfect, play that one first. And the, the spirit can play as many or as few cards as they want to indicate to each player who their target is. So on his card, it's identified which target he has to identify to which medium. So the first one was to my mum, who's getting on. Didn't really understand the concept of the game anyway, but all the mediums can help each other, so it was fine. She got help. And I played the one with the gun and the little jail cell on, and I thought, well, I can't really get any more simple than that. They, I'm sure they're going to find it, but there is another person who's got something related to a gun or a, a prisoner or something. So I thought, I'll make it simpler for them. And there's a picture with loads of cats and dogs sat around a fountain. It was like, there's a dog, so hot dog, dog, perfect. Bang that one down, and then all they did for 20 minutes was focus on the cats. And they're like, what What do the cats mean? What, what has any of them got to do with cats? And it just this went on for ages, and I'm sat there, and you can't speak as the, as the spirit. So I'm sat there, like, really muffling, like, mm, just, mm, and, like, trying to draw their attention to the dogs, but I can't. And, and this is the kind of scenario you end up getting. So the first round is the suspects. The second round is the locations. So there's, again, fairground, top, uh, tent thing the hot dog stand, etc. And they're all quite varied, but 
the clues can link to a number of them, so you have to be really careful. It is very similar to code names in that you're trying to identify something on a card without actually telling people what it is and you could send them down the wrong track and all that kind of thing. And then when you get to the third round, it's putting these three suspects and three locations that you've already drafted from the first two together and then they have to figure out which one of each three it is to win the game. So again, it's, it's the same thing again. You just do it in three rounds with different cards, but it is really fun. And it's unbelievably frustrating, but in a good way, I'd say. You, you do get really frustrated with it, but when you get that clue that they actually get, and they get it exactly the same wavelength as you're thinking, it's so satisfying to see the cogs turn and it fall into place for them. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I much prefer being, as frustrating as I much prefer being the spirit. Because when you're the, the spirit, you feel quite clever when you're playing these cards because you can see the logic and you think, oh, I've, I've really smashed that. When you're one of the mediums, you feel like an idiot because you're just looking at them and you can't figure out what they're trying to tell you from it. It's so varied and obtuse that because you don't know what they know, you do a lot of the times think, well, what am I missing here? They've played me these three cards and they've got nothing in common that relates to any of these targets. And then when you eventually do get to speak and you can give away your theory as to why you played those cards, some of them are out bizarre when, when people play them, but you can sort of then see the logic anyway. So I really enjoy it. I don't know if that does differ massively to the regular one, Craig. I mean, it sounds like the rules are pretty much the same. The only thing I would say, I don't know whether it's the same with Mysterium Park. The one, I, I really like playing Mysterium and it was a it was kind of like a staple of our family time during lockdown playing it. I think the one thing I, I I really struggle with with Mysterium is that you are working together throughout the entire game to solve this crime, and then when it gets to the the end bit in Mysterium when you're trying to solve the because basically what the the ghost does is it gives you clues to direct you towards your own set of clues, and then those clues get put out at the end, and then you're not allowed to discuss that end decision to kind of like make the final choice, and I don't know whether that's the same in Mysterium Park, but I find that quite an odd it's almost like a handbrake turn on kind of like you're working together but then this last bit you're not allowed to work together you just gotta you gotta hope that you're thinking the same way as everybody else and also the ghost unless we've misinterpreted the rules that's not how we played mysterium park so i don't know whether that we've just missed that bit but i'm but it was a while back since we've played it but i'm pretty sure they were discussing the last round as well so I wonder if that is something else they've changed because, like you say, it feels like it's the whole thing you're working together and then all of a sudden you chucked in the deep end on your own and yep. and it becomes not competitive but also not a team game anymore. Well, it's just that you have to kind of, like, hope that everybody... Like, so the ghost kind of, like, is... It's, it's this set of clues and you've got to hope that, A, you guess right, but then also, B, that everybody else has guessed right and the fact that you're not allowed to discuss it just feels very anti everything that's gone before it so if that has if that is something that's changed obviously i think that's a better thing i could be wrong but i'm almost certain it was just another team decision in the last round because I, I the only thing that's making me think that is because if my mum had been left on her own we probably would have never finished the game <laughs> so so i assume she was allowed some help there but yeah mysterium for me it's up there i'd probably give it a solid eight uh, Mysterium Park, sorry. I think it, it plays really quickly. The setup is really straightforward because I know that's one of the, the bugbears of the regular Mysterium, isn't it? That it takes yep. a long time to get it actually out on the table. It, it's not a long setup. It doesn't 
overstates welcome when you're playing it. I mean, we played two games back to back, and normally getting that level of involvement out of my parents is impossible. Usually, it's one game and they're done. And they were raring for another game. They didn't want to be the spirit, but they were quite happy to play another game where I swapped places and got to to see it from the other side. So yeah, it is a really fun one, and I'd give it a solid eight. So that's another one in the books. Who wants to go next? I'll go if you like. Go on. Yeah. So my first game for this then is Blood on the Clock Tower, which again is mostly kind of Halloween by theme, rather than being actually particularly spooky to play in and of itself, depending on how you do it. But yeah, so it's a, a social deduction game. One person is the storyteller who's in charge, I guess, or however you want to put that, but kind of dealing with what the players are doing. Uh, and everyone else sits in a, a circle. They're divided up into the good team and the evil team. On the evil team, there's a, a demon who kills players during the, the night phase by you know, choosing someone. And the good team have to find and execute the demon. So a lot like uh, Werewolf or Mafia, that kind of game, but with a bunch of extra stuff, basically, because everyone has their own unique uh, character role with with some ability that benefits them in some way um so like the the demon the, the evil teams one player is the demon the others are minions that have their individual abilities as well that can kind of benefit the evil team and then all the townsfolk have good abilities that can help them find the demon or protect other players or, or that kind of thing and it's just it's just really good it's just a a lot of fun to play uh, and every game is completely different because you deal out the roles randomly so like you're often not the same character two games in a row and it's fun to to play the different kinds of characters and see how that then makes you interact with other people and like the fact that you can be good or evil and there's there's clearly a kind of a mental holdover from one game to the next like oh well so and so was evil last time gotta watch out for them this time but you know that's not how probability works but it doesn't stop you thinking that and there are lots of different sets of characters that you can use as well so you get like a sheet called the script with all the possible characters on but there are all different ones that you can use so you can just have completely wildly different games of, of blood on the clock tower you can have ones that go through really quickly because everyone dies and ones that last for hours because there's loads of protection and resurrection and all this sort of stuff so you can really kind of fine-tune it to how you want your game and yeah i say that the halloween stuff is mostly just kind of the theme of the game if you want to do you could play it in a dark room with some candles and it would be quite spooky there's a demon yeah that's that's about all i've got on that i think we we played a game or two didn't we at ukg we did yeah and because drew was raring to get this game off the ground because he spent a, a large amount of money on it and, and <laughs> yeah. it needs a lot of people in the same place at the same time so it's not always the most practical for for like smaller game nights is it but yeah that's my main criticism of it really yeah UKG, you've got hundreds and hundreds of people all in the same place that would want to play it. So we ended up yeah. getting a few games in. And you said about the law of probability thing. I was I was on the Demons team two games in a row. And you it's, were, the, it's right. only, the only two games I've ever played. And I was the Demon and then one of the Imps. So I mm. I don't really have a, a good side of me on, on that game so far. I'll have to play it again. Yeah, yeah, we must get you to play again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun. It, it's... As somebody who's a little bit introverted until I know people, it was a bit daunting, especially the first game, because other than you, I didn't know anyone in that game. Sure. But it doesn't take long, as long as you're with the right kind of people, I suppose, to to come out of your shell a bit and, and start throwing the accusations around. And, and yeah, it was a, I really enjoyed it. I'd, I'd love to play it again. It is just so prohibitive with like hardly any people around where I am. I couldn't justify the 200 quid or whatever it is these days. Yeah, that's fair. I think it was it was 100 
10, I think, when I bought it, and I split it with a friend. So yeah, it wasn't wasn't completely awful for for again for how much play you get out of it. Like you can mm. just, you can play it if you've got enough people, just again and again and again, and have a completely different experience every time. So yeah, it's it's a lot of money, but it is worth it if if you're gonna play it. I think it's worth saying as well that it is a beautifully made thing as oh, well, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that the storyteller like the the box unfolds into yeah, as you say, just like a big book that you can use to track the game basically so you have all the tokens showing the characters for the different people and you can put them in the book like in the arrangement that people are sitting in because seating arrangement matters but like the inside of the the box and the backs of all the tokens are lined with black felt so you can put them in the box and like pick the box up and move it around without the tokens just shaking all over everywhere so like it looks lovely but it's also clearly really well thought out because they've gone okay how are people actually going to use this during the game and they've made that work and yeah it's just a really nice thing to just have and look at even if you're not playing it so what what score are you going with the blood on the clock tower uh i'm gonna give it a nine because yeah i think it is kind of big and expensive and it needs a lot of people but also it's it's a great time when you can get into it i've never seen a group of people playing it where they've not been really enjoying it either i think which is a Mm. A positive thing to say because you see them sat around in we went to ZatuCon and they got a game set up there and oh, yeah. they, they play it all the way through UKG don't they and every time you walk past there's people laughing or getting into heated debates or shouting or yeah, and it, yeah. And it, it, it always looks like people are really getting into it and having a good time I've never seen a game where they're all just sort of sat around moping and and not really enjoying it so I think a nine yeah. while high is from the two games I've experienced, which I admit is not much, um, I think it is probably justified. I would have gone somewhere similar, sure, uh, yeah. an eight or a nine, and I don't yeah. own it, so yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I guess the other caveat is that you do need to be like prepared for the fact that people are going to lie through their teeth to you. Like if you're not <laughs> yeah. okay with that, you're not going to have a good time. <laughs> and like th- and that think... just is part of the game. Like you're encouraged to like, even if you're on the good team, often it's you don't necessarily want to reveal who you are straight away so like if if you can't separate that in game from your interactions with people outside of the game then maybe this isn't the game for you but but if you can it, it's a great deal of fun yeah i think the only other thing to say that that could potentially make it a less fun game is i think you got into a situation didn't you drew when you played it with strangers where one guy was sort of railroading mm. the whole thing um, yeah, and trying to force his opinion through over everybody yeah. else and not really listening but if you're playing it in a, a friendship group and you know you don't have someone like that in your group of gamers, then it's not a problem you're going to experience. But And if you yeah. do, just off them first. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, well, that was the problem, was that he had like made a strange play early on in the game. And me and my friend were like, that's a weird thing to do. You're clearly the demon. And like his three or four friends were all like, oh, no, it's fine. He's just he's like this. And we're like, no, that's that's how they get you. Like, they're like this all the time so that when they do a weird thing you don't execute them kill him, kill him <laughs> but, but they wouldn't and we lost it's one I've always wanted to try I really, I'm really intrigued by Blood on the Clock Tower and I think I think for my South Yorkshire colleagues I think the house are running a Halloween back to back version of it at Abbeydale Picture House yes they are, yeah. um, I tried to get tickets but they'd sold out by the I think time it's sold I out. Yeah. Look, yeah. Um, yeah they're doing it up at the Fly Tower so I think they're making it quite immersive as well mm. Yeah, they did one in a graveyard last year as well. Yeah, they did, yeah. I would like to give it a go at some point for sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll speak to you offline about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I, th I think the thing is with Blood on the Clock Tower is, it, you know, obviously if it is immersive, it is obviously a much better experience. Mm. But it is a game where if you do struggle to get that number of people, you can play it over Discord or you can play it over Teams. Like, because you can get the Grimoire online as well, can't you? Because I know that yeah. that was what they did. Because that's what happened. I think whilst they were waiting for the physical copies to be produced, they put the Grimoire online so that people could play it like during lockdown and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a really good online app that yeah just gives you the the grimoire and like, you can put in all the players and it gives you like the voting thing as well and it's mm. yeah just makes it really easy to run online as you say. Yeah, not to not to take over this episode with offline talk, but there's three of us on this episode that live within like 15 minutes of each other. Craig likes to travel, I know that's a fact. And then there's a Does couple he? of the other. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Craig loves a bit of travel. And then there's a Does couple he? of other other members of the team that are from near Sheffield, so if mm. we might not be able to get one in before Halloween, but I'm sure we could arrange a bucket list board gamers blood on the clock tower event. Yeah, um, yeah, we should absolutely do that because yeah. That so I reckon fun. that might not be, a, and then we could we could either record it as it happened, which I don't know if anyone would actually want to listen to that, <laughs> or we could we could just have a little episode afterwards to to chat about how it went. So we might that might yeah. be one for the future. Do both, yeah. We could make that the Blood on the Clock Tower episode, and then the Patreon exclusive is listening to us play. Yeah, there we're on go. Patreon as well. Didn't know I don't know. Are we on Patreon? <laughs> if we're not, we probably we're, should we're, be. We're not yet, um, because I didn't think anyone would warrant wanting to give us any money yet. Because we've not well, really done that. If, if you want to give us but... money, listeners, for <laughs> listening to us playing Blood on the Clock Tower, then my tell us bad so we details can are. <laughs> yeah, big travel expenses. <laughs> Yeah, apparently I like travelling, so I'm going to need cover for that. So, <laughs> not to uh, not to slip in a plug halfway through a different episode, but if you like retro video games, our sister podcast, Bucketless Gamers, talks about retro video games, and they do have a Patreon. So you can go to Patreon.com/slash/BucketlessGamers and sign up there. And we use all the same software for recording, so technically, if you donate to them, you're paying for this podcast as well. So. We we will get a separate one eventually, but if you if you clamour in to give us money now, you can always go and subscribe to that one, and it will help out this There's channel. No refunds, that's right, Jay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Right, so that leaves the final girl, Craig Smith, to uh, give us his first game. Okay, so I've gone for a similar to Drew. I've gone for a kind of like a bigger group party game, and I've gone for a game called Phantom Inc. So, Phantom Inc. is a... I, I mean, I keep describing it as a cross between Codenames and Mysterium. I kind of feel like I'm doing it a bit of a disservice by doing that. So, what happens is you're in two separate teams. On each team, you have one ghost, and you have the rest of the team who are kind of like trying to communicate with the ghost. And what the ghost is trying to communicate is they're trying to communicate a word. Now, both teams are trying to communicate the same word, and each team has got seven different questions on cards that they can ask the ghost. So they pick two, they pass the questions to the ghost, and then the ghost chooses one and discards the other. And then they start writing their answer one letter at a time. And then as soon as you think you know what the answer is going to be, you can say silencio, and the ghost stops writing immediately. So... The thing is, the quicker you can try and work out what your ghost's writing, the better, because it doesn't give the op opposing team any clues as to what the word is. And then you don't show the opposing team 
what the what questions you're asking there are even a couple of cards in there which i love which basically say write something random to try and throw the other team off the scent which i just think <laughs> is absolutely brilliant and then what happens is at one point on your turn you could just be like right i think i know what all these words are supposed to be i think i know what the word is and then you can have a guess at what the word's supposed to be and again you write it one letter at a time and if the ghost says that if the ghost thinks that you're right they'll knock on the table if the ghost knows that you're wrong then they just don't do anything so again it's not really giving too much information away to the opposition team if what you've written is wrong because you've only written maybe a letter or two and then it's just whichever team works out what the word's supposed to be and the reason i prefer phantom ink over code names is because i think when you're playing a game of code names it puts a lot of pressure on the clue giver because they're the ones that are having to try and come up with these different combinations of clues that work for different numbers of words and i think that puts a lot of pressure on them and it and because of that i think it can slow the game down a lot with phantom inc you only have these two questions to of which to answer so actually a lot of that pressure to try and give better clues or get better clues is put back on the team. And that's why I enjoy that more. I think you can play it with just the four of you, just having two ghosts and two people guessing. I imagine it's better having somebody there that you can discuss all your thoughts with, but I I really like it. And it is a game that you could quite easily, again, you could kind of like whip up an atmosphere for, just put candles on the table, set the table out like a seance and all that kind of stuff so i think it is you know again not innately scary but i don't think any of the games <laughs> that's what like what we said at the start i don't think any game is really innately scary it is what you make of it isn't it so you've done a great job of describing it because i read the back of the box i saw it on sale in in a shop at the weekend and i read the back of the box and I didn't think much to it based on how they'd sold it on the back of the box, but the way you've just gone through it then sounds far better. And yeah, it would be something I'd be interested in to play now. But got a missed call in marketing there, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it just sounded like Mysterium to me when I read the back of the box, but with letters instead of pictures, and and that was the impression yeah. I got straight away. But it sounds like there is a lot more to it actually. I think that what I what I found with Mysterium is you start to kind of like the more that you play mysterium because we played mysterium a lot over lockdown is that you start to associate certain pictures with clues all the time regardless of what and regardless of what kind of clues are on the table and stuff like that you start to kind of like associate certain pictures with certain clues and it starts to get a bit repetitive with this game because you have just got like this massive wedge of cards that have probably, and each card's got six different words on it, and the words are of different complexities. There are some words that are really easy to try and solve. Some of them are a lot more difficult, and I just think there's a bit more variability to the game than what you do get with Mysterium. I mean, don't get me wrong, you could quite easily play Phantom Inc. just with a pad of, and a couple of pens and stuff like that and just make up your own, but I think that the game like having the cards and having that kind of like discussion i just think it's a really good interesting game and like i say you can really kind of add a lot of atmosphere to it as well yeah it sounds like a a more intriguing game than i expected it to when uh when i first saw it so what what score would you give it i i mean i go to a game a night every the first thursday of every month and it is one that i'm asked to bring 
every month and we play it pretty much every month so i get a lot of play out of it so for that reason i'd give it a nine i think it is again probably similar to what we were just saying about blood on the clock tower you can play with maybe slightly smaller groups but it is a game that excels with bigger groups so probably just that caveat there it's a bold, bold statement with the nine, but yeah, I think it is going to have to be something I check out now. Whether it's Aircon next year when I finally see you, if you bring it with you, we might have a game of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a, a positive one. So that's the first round. Does anyone want to go first on the second one? Do you want to go in the same order? Do you want to switch it up? Andy looks like he's he's raring to go. Go on, Andy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so my second one is called Deranged, and this is from Hobby World. And this is one that I'd had my eye on for a couple of years before I finally picked it up. I quite like a sort of Halloween horror theme type game, so I've got I've got a few, and yeah, I'd I'd like the look of this one for a while. It's a little bit similar to Betrayal in a few aspects. It's kind of semi-cooperative, plays three to six, but I think there's enough difference that I think if you were kind of you know kind of obsessively collecting things, you know, not to call myself out too much there. There's probably room to have both of these on a shelf and you'll get something different from it. It's got a modular board, which I quite like in terms of how you set it up, and you're playing as a group of people that have have been trapped in this kind of small, it's implied, it's kind of some sort of like Bavarian little town, and you've got to survive three days and three nights, so there's kind of like a bit of a turn structure there, that a round structure there, sorry, that is, yeah, you play until day turns into night, and then there's kind of a nighttime condition, and then you when you get back to day, there's a different condition that you're sort of following. And that's kind of run through these chapter cards. So you've got six chapter cards, one for each day and night of the three days. And at some point, you can become deranged yourself. So your kind of little mini gets taken off the board. You swap it to a monster mini. And the only way to stop being deranged is to kill one of the other players, who then gets a curse. And ultimately, the only way you can win is to be totally free of curses, not be deranged and be on the very specific exit space that kind of gets introduced quite late in the game. And it's, it's really quite a lot of fun. The art to it, I think, is just, it looks absolutely stunning. There's this real kind of graphic novel feel to it. It's kind of got some really nice kind of gothic art that's kind of really through everything, through the card backs, through the player sheets, through the chapter um, references on the board, everything. It just it looks really, really good. And it, yeah, it plays pretty well at the same time there's a nice little introductory mode so if you just want to kind of get the grips of it you haven't got to play through kind of six chapter cards you can just kind of play a day and a night and then you're like oh yeah okay i get it now i'll set it up again it comes with three different scenarios but then you can kind of mix and match so you take any you know chapter one card any chapter two card and you can kind of really build it um, to be quite different every time and particularly with the modular board as well there's a lot of variability through it there was i guess kind of one bit where it fell down for me which was because you're kind of playing semi-co-op, if somebody becomes deranged, you can kind of talk around the table and be like, okay, well, go and kill that person. They're going to get a curse, but we can help them with that. And, you know, you can play it so one person doesn't win if you want. But, you know, that's absolutely fine. But it's easy enough to... Well, so, so the last time we played, it felt easy enough that we could all win just by kind of somebody falling on the sword a little bit. Yeah. And I kind of got to a point where it's like, well, actually, I've kind of slow played the clock enough, so I've been and completed what I need to do for this first chapter. I don't really feel like I've got anything that I need to do on my turn. It's just kind of what do I fancy doing. So there's a little bit of that as well. Um, And you can slow play it because the time only advances when you play certain cards. But if you do that, you're kind of penalised when you turn the next chapter card over. It's like if you've kind of cleared the board of everything, it's like, okay, well, the setup for the next chapter is going to be a lot harder. So I think the game recognises that you can approach it in different ways and it does allow for that. And the cards themselves, this is kind of one of the really neat things. There's Each card that you play has 
one of sort of three things that you can do you can either move you can attack or you can search and there's different values on different cards but if you become deranged you flip your cards upside down and then they've got kind of different movement and attack values for your character when they've kind of been taken over by the spirits or whatever so it's you're not kind of pulling a different deck out you're just using exactly what's in your hand but you can you can kind of use it to different advantages and in different ways and it was pretty well i mean similar to betrayal you've kind of got like mental and physical damage that you're taking and if any of those get depleted you get a curse and so there's there's a lot about how you manage your turn in terms of moving or taking some of the monsters out versus resting and trying to recuperate a little bit and not collecting too many curses but yeah it's really neat i'm kind of yeah say i waited a couple of years to pick it up I can see, you know, I think I've put it in a few times, but I can see how you would compare it to Betrayal, but I think it is really different enough, and it feels different enough to definitely be worth a go. It's not one I've heard of personally, I don't know about you guys. I th think I've heard the name, but I've not, like, seen it around much or, or played it or anything. So, but, but yeah, it does sound interesting. I do like a good co-op game. I know some people aren't, yeah. aren't fond of them, and it sounds like that one you can actually manage the co-op aspect of it quite well, and like you say, negate some of the negative aspects of it by by planning ahead. Yeah, I mean, you can totally say like actually, you're you know, basically every night somebody becomes deranged, and that third night is when you've got to you know get rid of all your curses, get to the exit. Mm. So you could kind of leave somebody behind right at the end if they're the unfortunate one that's pulled the card, but <laughs> you don't have to. You can kind yeah. of, you can make it slightly harder for yourself, but still try and let everybody win. So I think that's quite mm. a neat one as well. So what score would you be giving it on a on a one to ten? If I'm allowed halves, I think I'm going to say a seven and a half. I think it's there's a there's a few bits where it feels a little clunky or you kind of lose a little bit of agency. But yeah, I really do like it. It's uh, it's quite immersive, and I think that kind of co-op bit leads me to that idea about survival, which is kind of what you're really doing. So don't think it. I don't think it would work in any other way. So I think, yeah, I think it's a really good Halloween-style co-op game to get into. Yeah. Right, I'll go next. So I've been torn between what my second game should be and whether to go more mainstream that people have heard of or one that's a little bit more obscure. I think I'm going to go the obscure route because I really do love this game. It's a game called Ghostel by Tinkerbot Games. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, it's not the easiest game to get hold of at the minute. Uh, I think you can still buy it from their website. The last time I checked, they were selling it off to make way for a new kickstarter game that they've that they're in production with now so the concept of it is you've got this hotel that is haunted by the players and each room in this hotel which is laid out on a three by four grid i believe is um has different residents in it which are laid out at random and each resident will have usually something that they're scared of. They will have their like resistance to being haunted number on their cards. And the aim of the game is to move through these rooms and do a certain amount of haunting damage and scare the guests out of the hotel. And for every sort of one you scare out, you get points and get to move around the little score track around the edge. If you play it as a two, which we did, you both get two ghosts rather than just playing your one, whereas if you play it as a three or a four, you will just get one ghost each. And you can move, I think you can only move to adjacent rooms, from what I remember, it has been a, a couple of months since we played it. You can only move to adjacent rooms and you can't move into certain rooms that have got either protection on them or if there's another ghost, I think in one of the other rooms, you can't move into another room where there is already a ghost, that kind of thing. And then you get curse cards and things like that where one person might be particularly scared of clowns so if you've got the card with the clowns on you can play that and it will scare them out of the room quicker and they're all worth 
different point values depending on how hard they are to get out of the room. So everyone plays in turn. So player one, then player two, player three, player four, and then you resolve everything at the end of the round and then move your score tracker, repopulate the empty rooms and go again. And then it's first two and a score that you've set. So I think we played to 21. And you just keep going until somebody reaches the final score or you run out of guests in the stack but there's been a couple of expansions which i picked up so the stack of guests that i've got is bigger than the base game and and it's very rare that you're actually going to run out of them before you get to the score that that you're looking for but it's just so much fun it's so simple straightforward to pick up the artwork on it is is really nice because it's well for me because it's like a comic book cartoony style of art which i really like the little miniature ghosts are gorgeous they're like little stereotypical sheet covered ghosts but they're made from like solid plastic and there's four different colors of them and they're really nice and they actually i'm gutted because they actually did expansion sets with different colored ghosts in and they'd sold out before i found out about the game so i never actually got those but yeah i've spoke to the guys at tinkerbot quite a lot and they have shown an interest in coming on and speaking to us at some point so we'll probably get them on to discuss it further and their new game which is it's funded on Kickstarter. It's just at the point where it's going to be starting getting sent out to backers. It's called Horticulture, and it's sort of a, it's not an expansion, but it's set in the same world. So next to the ghost L is this plot of land, and you're growing monsters on it essentially. But I can't go into too much detail of that because I haven't got it yet. I've, I saw a demo of it two years ago at UKG, and I've forgot most of what what it is but i think you get extra points for lining up the same type of monster on this grid and and that kind of thing it looks really fun and it it looks very familiar to anyone who's played ghost l already but yeah that's my little obscure one i really enjoy it it's one that we play quite a bit because it's it's just easy to get out and play not played it for a while because we've not really played anything for a while but um yeah when we do start playing games that's usually one near the top and like we've got a stack of about 40 games that we haven't played yet but we'll always go back to that one because we know what we're doing and it's just easy and straightforward I, I think you'll be able to pick it up second hand certainly i don't know if tinkerbot's website has still got copies left but it wasn't even overly expensive and it is really nicely made i mean i can't remember what i paid but it's worth it for those little ghost miniatures on their own because they're so nice but yeah that's that's mine and i would probably give it a, again a solid eight for that one I think it's a, a really fun game. A bit niche, maybe, but it does. It has that fun Halloween spirit to it for this time of year. Rather than being the scary Halloween type of thing, it's just a, a good, fun, yeah, fun time. And I suppose it's probably a good one for kids as well because it's cartoony. It's not particularly scary. The picture of the clown's not very nice if you don't like <laughs> clowns. But other than that, yeah, it's, it's not too bad. So that, that was my second one. It does sound like a lot of fun. It is. It is. It's really. Uh, if we if we do another meetup, I will bring it and we can have a quick game of it because it doesn't take overly long to play as well. Even especially when you've got four people, because uh, when you're managing two ghosts, you tend to inherently split the points in your own head. So rather than just sure, going for yeah. the kill with one, you sort of yeah divide them. Whereas if you're all playing and you're in it for yourself, yeah, there is a little bit of a co-op element to it as well because you can sort of strategize with the other person like oh if i take these three out you it, it leaves you a path to take those three out even though you are playing against each other on the score tracker it's got that to it as well so 
Interesting. What's your next one, Drew? Uh, yes, yeah, so my next one is Betrayal at House on the Hill, which Andy already mentioned. Yeah, which I think is is a good game. So yeah, again, for those who don't know, it's you're kind of exploring this um, haunted or otherwise spooky house. You kind of start off with just the entrance hall and, and the landing upstairs and, and the basement. Uh, and you kind of go around and unveil more rooms as you explore the house and there's all different spooky things in the rooms and you draw more cards and then at some point the haunting happens and one of the players betrays everyone and and turns evil and there's a big book of different scenarios that explain who turns evil and how and how they then have to win the game and it's a lot of fun i think it it has a lot of replay value because there are so many different scenarios so like i've i've played it several times i'm not convinced i've played the same scenario twice maybe one of them but yeah it's fairly uncommon and and even then like it, because it's not the same player that is the betrayer every time you still get a slightly different experience and most of them are really pretty good i think there's a few that are slightly less so because it depends when the haunting happens as well because if you have a you know a bit of bad luck and it happens quite early like i think one game we had it happened like within the first three or four or two or three rounds and it was like the haunting with like a, a dragon or something. <laughs> so it's like, okay, one player is now suddenly a dragon and we have to, in this completely empty <laughs> house, find like a magical spear and some armor or something. And then the dragon just came and killed us all and it wasn't very fun. Um, but most games are not like that. And it's a lot of fun just sort of exploring the house and then oh, suddenly a bad thing happens and oh, now, damn, I'm stuck in the basement and can't get out for bloody ages and all the things in the basement are bad so you've just got to wander around just taking damage until someone finds the magic elevator to let you let you out or whatever but yeah it's it's good fun and it's fairly spooky i think or at least like all the things on the cards are spooky again it doesn't really feel that spooky when you're playing it unless you make the effort to make it feel spooky but it it leans into its theme a lot i think and there's a lot of sort of tropes of ghost couples in their wedding attire and like spooky children and <laughs> and all that sort of thing like it, it clearly knows what it's doing with the, the horror aspect of the game i think the thing i always find with betrayal is in what circumstance would that specific group of people ever be hanging out with each other oh, yeah, <laughs> the, they think, the professor you know, and the, the little boy and the cheerleader professor, the yeah. little boy the little girl this high school jock and it's like what is what has brought all them together like <laughs> What's the yeah, um, what, what's what's a good player count for it then? Would you say what is the like the minimum um, maximum? I think four or five is best. I think you can play it with three, but then of course once someone's the betrayer, you've only then got two people working together yeah. against them, which I think is harder and also less fun. So I think yeah, the more players, the better generally. Agree with that. Yeah, we've played it at three a few times, and it does that that kind of two versus one feels a lot harder. I think yeah. particularly when I'm inevitably stuck in the basement as well, and I just can't <laughs> can't get out, and I'm waiting for somebody to come and kill me in the basement. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the the difficulties can... well with a game like Betrayal is it it you know a little bit like Blood on the Clock Tower. It kind of relies on people get into the spirit of it so True. when i've played it in the past there have been people that have just been like because i i love be, being the traitor i like mm. really kind of like mm. lean into the whole trope of it and stuff like that but when you're playing with people and they don't want to become the traitor and then they are then it's like all oh, right okay well 
you're just gonna you're just gonna suck all the fun out of this for us now, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my wife's a bit like that. She likes the game, but she doesn't like being the traitor. So it's always like, oh, okay, but but I don't want to. Like, well, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I don't I don't get that. Like, well, I'd I'd want to be the thing that was a bit different in the game and experience yeah. that side of it. Yeah, so. That's why I was quite happy to be the demons team both times when we uh, when we played <laughs> yeah. Blood on the Clock Tower because I got to experience it from the opposite side to what is traditional, I suppose. I think it's quite a hard learn for people that have never played it before, especially if they become the traitor for the first time because it's basically like, here's your book of instructions, go and read it, don't tell us anything. And that makes it, especially if they've never played it before, it's like, oh, okay, so you're just yeah. going to get thrown in the deep end. So, yeah, think, it does give yeah. you a you bunch of extra two games at once, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, true. One thing I think it does really well, though, is like, again, going back to the, the horror aspect of it, it really kind of ramps the tension. Because, yeah, absolutely. Like, for the haunting to happen, you roll some number of dice and you roll as many as the number of omens you've revealed or something, and you have to roll below a certain amount. Yeah. So, like, that starts off really easy and then as the game goes on just like oh this this could happen at any moment and it just keeps ramping and ramping and the longer it goes the more tense it gets yeah unless as you say you'd get it in the first two rounds and then a dragon <laughs> whereabouts are you pitching that then drew uh i'm i'm gonna put that at a seven as I say it definitely has some flaws but overall like it's it's just a fun good silly spooky game with a decent amount of replayability so our final game we come to craig to know why I just waved at the camera. Nobody listening to the podcast <laughs> is going to be able Perfect to see that. Aren't they? On audio what medium. a silly Billy thing to do. So my second is Horrified. So Horrified by Ravensburger. Uh, the reason I've picked Horrified is because it's Universal Monsters. Big fan of that 1920s, 30s films like Dracula, The Mummy, Frankenstein and the Bride, um, Invisible Man. And what you're doing is you're working as a group of people from this town um so there's like the mayor there's a archaeologist there's a courier so and a bunch of other different characters and they've all got asymmetric abilities and what you're trying to do is you're trying to basically kill the number of monsters that you're fighting against so i think easy mode is two medium three difficult and then the highest difficulty you face facing four of the monsters but each of the monsters they have their own little puzzle that you have to try and solve so with uh, Dracula he's got coffins in different parts of the board and you have to use items that you collect up from the board to destroy those coffins and then you've got the Frankenstein of the Bride who you need to use some of the items to repel them away from each other because if they ever meet then it gets you one close one space close to end game if you've got the mummy they've got like a little maths puzzle that you have to try and solve, which is kind of like trying to move these scarabs around the board so that they're all in number order. Um, and again, you have to use items. Then the added wrinkle that you've got of the game is that you've got villagers that just pop up onto the board and you have to try and get them home safely because they become another target for the monsters to kill. So you have to try and get them back to their things and you can get kind of like rewarded if you get them to where they're their chosen destination. I really like it. You know, it's... A game of horrified you can see a lot of the same dna that you do with pandemic you know the asymmetric powers the having to complete this game as a team but each person has kind of like their own different ways of doing it and what i i think what kind of makes this kind of probably a slightly better entry point than pandemic is that when you're playing the game 
like the puzzles are more interesting than they are on Pandemic because with Pandemic, it is just a, you need X amount of cards and then you need to go to a research centre and that's cured that illness. With these, with the puzzles that you've got on um, on Horrified, you can do a little bit of one and think, all right, well, I'm about to be attacked here, so let's go somewhere safer. And, and I like that. I think it is a better entry point. Um, in terms of scariness, not really, but... At the end of the day, it's got like the Universal Monsters. I have played the American Monsters version as well, which is really good. I would argue it's probably the miniatures and the puzzles are probably better in that game. But for some reason, I always find myself preferring to play the original version. I don't really know why. I am quite interested to see what the Greek Monsters version looks like. I think that's just come out in like the last couple of weeks. It is a really good game. I think my biggest issue with Horrified at the moment is because I only ever, for the majority of the time, I only play games with two players. Me and my partner have got to a point now where we do win the vast majority of the time, even on like the hardest setting. I know obviously it's probably a bit more geared towards families, but once you've kind of kind of worked out how to win a game, it kind of sucks a little bit of the joy. And I'm not saying that we win comfortably. Like sometimes it does come down to like the last couple of cards, but when you win a game 95% of the time, as opposed to like a, a spirit island where it's only really in the last six months that we've even started winning it in like the easiest mode, I think it just has that, you know, doesn't have that level of variability and replayability. Yeah. That, but um, So I think if you'd have asked me a year ago to score Horrified, I'd have probably said about an eight and a half. But I think at the moment, I'd probably say maybe like a seven and a half, maybe even a seven. I was going to say, I introduced somebody to Horrified a couple of weeks ago, and he, like, kind of, Pandemic is his favourite game, and I think he went out and bought a copy of it the day after. Yeah. He was, yeah. And he's just kind of he's just kind of played it non-stop since. I think he, he really enjoyed it, and I think it'd been a while since I played it when I kind of did that teach, and it kind of reminded me about how good it is, and I think yeah. what you're saying about those puzzles, that is, that feels really, really good. There's, they're not straightforward enough that you can just waltz your way through them, but yeah. actually, yeah. It is, yeah, it's a much better game than I think I give my, I give it credit for myself. Yeah. Yeah, we played it at UKG. We played it on one of the Ravensburger tables to learn it because I've done it the wrong way around as I usually do. I bought it off Amazon because <laughs> it was dirt cheap and then we never got around to actually playing it. And, and we learn a lot better when somebody who knows how to play it is teaching us than trying to go through the instructions and figure it out ourselves. So we're like, oh, while we're here, we'll have a game of it and figure it out. And yeah, really enjoyed it when we sat down and played it. We got Dracula and the, is it the Creature from the Deep or whatever it is? Creature the, from the, the Black Lagoon, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which was quite a combination because the creature can move around really quickly, can't it, using the waterways? Yeah. Whereas, yeah, yeah. And then Dracula's obviously just stalking you to all the different coffins. So it was a nice mix of... One of them you don't really take on until the end, and you have to collect all the different coloured spaces to move the boat through the, the waterway. And then Dracula was jumping all over the board to try and take out all the coffins, so it was quite a varied one. And yeah, we won, but we were very, like, it was very touch and go at the end as to whether we would or not. So I, I did really enjoy it. We've not had it out since we got back, again, just because we've not played that much, and we're trying to play some of the new stuff to decide whether we like it. But yeah, I really enjoyed it, and it is one that we will come back to soon, especially with the other two versions now. I've just got my eye out for them coming on, on cheap, so I can stick them on the stand next to it. And um, yeah, eventually try out all the different monsters. But I think it was um, it, it was simpler than I expected it to be. 
think when you look at it at first and you see how many tokens there are and the way the board's laid out and all the miniatures, you think it's going to be fairly complex. And then when you actually start playing it, it's very structured and you do this, then you do this, then you do this, and then repeat. And it, it makes real easy. I, I imagine, Andy, when you taught it to your friend, it wasn't a particularly difficult teach. Once you've done a couple of rounds, you, you're into it, aren't you? And you know what you're doing. So, yeah, good good starting point, I think, for people who want to get into horror yeah. games, in inverted commas, yeah. I suppose. But I think it's that kind of thing is when the more you get used to certain games, you can start to see, like, the DNA. So, like, with, you know, if somebody loves Pandemic, then Horrified's a pretty safe bet because you have four actions and then you flip a card to see what happens and where yeah. the monsters move to. So there is... Um, and obviously, if that deck ever runs out, like in Pandemic, then you lose. Or if the threat track goes up to a certain point, like Pandemic, you lose. So when there's when there's a game, it's just like, well, actually, there's a lot of a crossover here. And it's just a bit of a safe bet then, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm glad I went with Ghost L, because Horrified was my mainstream option that I was going to go <laughs> with. So I'd have, I'd have stole your second game if I'd have... Oh, uh, I had backups. I had backups. <laughs> <laughs> So before we list them or decide our top five, has anyone got any honourable mentions? Because Horrified was going to be mine, but we've covered that off now. Um, the only other one I've I was going to mention is... Oh, go on, because it might be the one I'm thinking of. I'll let you go first. Go on. I was just going to say The Night Cage. I think of all the games that you can create that spooky atmosphere, that is a really good one for it because it comes with a soundtrack and you can dim the lights and you can stick the music on which is a bit creepy and and it, it you're essentially blind aren't you as you play it and it does of all the games i can think of that's the one that comes closest to creating that spooky atmosphere for you with the components they've given you yeah like you say you can make all the other ones spooky by setting the scene yourself but they seem to have gone to that effort of we've curated this music for you and we recommend you play it in low light. And do you know what I mean? They've gone that extra mile to do that. So that was mine. I think you just prompted me to think of another two while you were talking. Yeah. There, <laughs> so really quickly, my first one was going to be Escape the Dark Castle. I think it's a really simple kind of card-based dungeon crawler, roll some dice, kill some monsters. The artwork is incredibly good. And I think actually it's quite horrifying some of the monsters that you come up against and some of the things that you have to kill it's not not like kind of hold back on the description so i definitely check that out when you talked about soundtrack one that jumped into my head was last night on earth i've got the last night on earth version with a cd soundtrack that comes in the box <laughs> it is very very kitsch it is kind of it's i mean like the art for last night on earth is just kind of the most like 80s slasher film stereotypes you can possibly imagine that. and the the cd is I think supposed to give it atmosphere. It just kind of makes it feel a little bit more like you're watching Scream or something. I'm not quite sure. And then the last one when you were kind of talking about atmosphere and kind of components is uh, Nyctophobia. I don't know if you've played that, but you play that completely blindfold. So one person is a killer mm. who can see the board and everybody else has blindfolds where you can't see anything and you are trying to feel your way around the board to get to an endpoint to be safe and that that's quite a hard one to teach you have to be quite tactile you're literally picking people's hands up and saying this is where you are this is what's north south east west of you so it's kind of a little bit then i guess kind of more intimate but it is really quite you are only playing it through touching and um, kind of how you're remembering the board so that that's quite a good one as well yeah my honorable mentions were well i mean you've you've called it me twice during the course of the episode uh, <laughs> i'm a big fan of final girl 
Um, I didn't choose Final Girl probably because I just don't think I've played it enough in comparison to the other two games. But if you like a solo-only game, there is a large element to look in it because it's basically dice chucking to see how successful a lot of your a lot of your actions are. So it is a very very good game, um, and obviously. You know, it, it kind of follows that final girl trope and, you know, I, I really like the artwork of it and I really like the kind of like you can have different final girls, you can have different monsters, you can have different locations, you can really mix it all up, so that's really good. And then the other one I was going to say is Vagrant Song, which is a cooperative campaign game, which is set on a train where you're basically trying to give these haints their humanity back so that they can kind of like cross over into the... Uh, the other world basically so and the only way that you can give them their humanity back is by beating it into them so it's a really good game the miniatures and the artwork for it is absolutely gorgeous like the production quality of vagrant songs incredible but yeah it's a really good campaign game would recommend quick um quick question on final girl because i've not played it mm-hmm. i know it's a one player game but yeah. can you play it as a group all deciding on your individual action I don't know that I necessarily play it as a group. I think if you played it as kind of like if there was two of you, like if you played it with your partner and stuff like that, I don't see a problem with that because like me and my partner played Legacy of You, which is supposed to be a solo only game, but we played it as a pair and I think it kind of enhanced the experience to kind of like discuss your your decisions. Um, So I don't see why you wouldn't be able to play it as a pair, but I don't know that I'd recommend it as a... the all the information generally faces one way so it's kind of like you'd have to either like snuggle in tightly or um <laughs> or yeah i just don't know that it would work in a group of you yeah drew have you got a honorable mention or have you used up all your horror knowledge yeah no we've we've exhausted the extent of my experience <laughs> games, i'm afraid it's, it's just those two and they're not even that spooky <laughs> right let's uh let's pick a top five out of the the eight that we've got it might seem like an odd thing to do, given that they weren't my games, but I would push for Blood on the Clock Tower going at the top, because it's not the spookiest game in the world, but Halloween's about parties, isn't it, and people getting together for me. I don't know about if that's the same for everyone, but for me, yeah. Halloween is about parties, getting with your friends, doing something that pushes you a bit outside of your comfort zone, and that is what Blood on the Clock Tower does, so... For me, I would push for that to be up there. I don't know if anyone else would agree or disagree with that. Yeah, happy for that. Yeah, I would. It was the highest one we rated as well, right? I think that's yeah. uh, I think that's fair. I'm happy think, to do that. Yeah, we had two nines, I think. We had that and Phantom yeah. Inc. So, yeah. Drew wins. Goodbye, everybody. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> well done, Drew. Drew won a podcast. Anyone got a pitch for number two? A pitch betrayal. I kind of, I just really like it. I think there's so much there. There's so much replayability. It, it is a bit sort of kind of tropey, but I just I, I do love it. It's yeah. kind of one of my favourites. Now, well, well, I don't disagree with this because I haven't played it. That does mean we're giving Drew a one-two. Yeah, I'm, I'm and I don't fine want his head this, to get yeah. too big. But <laughs> we're all friends here, aren't we? Didn't know it was a competition, but apparently I'm winning now. <laughs> <laughs> so spot three, I would go either probably either Horrified or Mysterium Stroke Mysterium Park. But I don't know if anyone wants to argue that case. No, happy. I've, I've only played Horrified, so I can't comment on Mysterium or Park. But yeah, happy. I would be happy with one of those. Horrified at three, then, I think is a fair choice because we've all played it. We all know what it's about. And then, yeah, let's duke it out for four and five. I mean, I'm not particularly bothered if neither of my games get in the top five. Has anybody else got any calls for four and five? I think Amelia's Secret sounded really fun and interesting and a bit different. Yeah. Like, I know 
kind of games with an app can be a bit sort of gimmicky sometimes, but it sounds like it uses it well. Yeah. yeah. It's not a thing you always get. Pop Amelia in at four, and then five, let's duke it out, everybody else. Ghostel sounds really fun and silly as well. Yeah, you sold Ghostel to me. I was like, I, I was Googling it while you were talking about it. So I <laughs> there we go then. I'd be quite that happy will, to put that one in. <laughs> we'll bang that one in at number five if everyone's happy. So there's your top five. Go out and see if you can afford all those games because I think a couple of them are probably going to push your budget. But yeah, that's that's where we've settled for this Halloween episode. And I've personally really enjoyed it. There's at least two games people have mentioned that I'm now going to go out and figure out if I can afford to buy this month. Uh, and if not, get them ready for the next month. But yeah, unless anyone else has got any other business in the board gaming world, I think we're we're about there. Give us money so I can travel more. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want a copy of Amelia's Secret, send me a message. <laughs> right then, in that case, in the, the words of our other host, Luke, it's time to put the lid back on the box, or boxes in this case, and say where you can find all of us. So... I am available to be found over on the Bucket List Gamers podcast, where we talk about retro games, which I've already plugged heavily earlier in the episode, if I don't cut it out. Craig, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at the Midland Meeple on Instagram. Andy? Uh, you can find me at Board Senseless on Instagram. If you're wanting a copy of Amelia's Secret, that's where you need to go yeah. <laughs> fairly quickly. Andrew, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at crucible underscore games on Instagram and also at DrewLeonard42 on Twitter if you're so inclined. If you're one of the few people who still uses Twitter unironically. Yeah. What's Twitter? <laughs> Perfect. So I think all that's left for me to say is thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>